This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa everybody for tuning in for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. We are recording on Super Bowl Sunday, but hockey's better, right? Anyways, I'm the host, like I said, with me as always, my co-host, really we're about even in this venture though, I think, if you put it all together, Brian Com. Is that not the definition of co-host, being relatively equal in the venture? I guess so, but I always say, like, I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, makes it, making it seem as if I'm, like, leading the show. But, I mean, at the end of the day, when our valued patrons throw five bucks at us, we split it 50-50. Maybe yeah, I, should... I, I, don't, I don't read it that way at all. Also, really great hot take coming into the show that today a football game is being played, but hockey's better. How about that for a hockey <laughs> podcast? No, I, no better way to kick it off. I would be into the Super Bowl if the Jets were playing. Because they have the same name as a hockey team, so I would cheer for them for that. But aside from that, no, no real interest. So you actually own a Philadelphia Eagles baseball cap, don't you? Wasn't that like your favorite hat for several years, and you have no allegiance at all to the team? Yeah, that's a, in back in my hipster days. I would wear, and people would go, like, oh, "You're into the Eagles?" Like, no, I just think it's a nice looking hat. What? What's wrong with that? I mean, I see you're wearing an Ottawa Lynx hat right now. Very cool. Anyways, Brian, this isn't a mailbag show. We can't just dither about like we did last Thursday. We've got a lot of content to get to, so let's get to it. Obviously, also thanks to everyone joining us in the chat room. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> he came in saying already better than the Super Bowl. That's what got me, got my juices flowing, getting excited to uh, bash on the NFL. But no, okay, we've got a lot of hockey stuff to talk about. Before we get to it, of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. Hockey, the best sport out there. Dauber Hockey, the best fantasy website out there. Jets, the best, you know, we can keep it going, all the best things. But anyway, Dauber Hockey, fantastic. All the tools, all the writings and ramblings and everything you need to be successful with your fantasy hockey teams. You've basically got every day a daily rambling, summarizing what's been going on, articles, you know, interesting cage matches, comparing people, lists, like top 50 of this, top 100 forwards and keeper leagues or whatever, all that kind of stuff. Tools, starting goalies, line combinations, it's all there. You're kind of you're kind of missing the boat if you haven't been regularly using DauberHockey.com. It's free and it's amazing. Check it out. 
Brian, how about we get started with this week's slate of fantasy hockey news? Let's start with some injuries and specifically Nathan McKinnon. This is a big one. He suffered an upper body injury on Tuesday versus the Canucks in a collision with Alex Edler. He's expected actually to only be out two to four weeks. So it could have been a much worse injury. A lot of people were worried, oh man, this might look like a long-term thing from the way the hit looked. Two to four weeks. Okay, not great. Like not terrible though. Right now is the time when a lot of people are fighting for their lives to make their fantasy hockey playoffs. So for those teams, it is brutal because you're losing out on one of the best players in the league. Like Before we even get into the impact of this, other players on the avalanche that maybe benefit or get hurt by this injury, let's talk about like how good is Nathan McKinnon? Like He's up to now 61 points in 49 games. That's an 102-point pace. Like I don't think Nathan McKinnon was drafted in the first rounds of any leagues this year, but I imagine that's going to maybe change for next year. Like, Do you really think he's this good? Is he an 100-point player at this point? Like Next year, should he be drafted alongside guys like John Tavares and Steven Stamkos, etc.? I think Nathan McKinnon is really good. You know, players who notch 63 points in their rookie season don't often become bust. It's happened 18 times that rookies have eclipsed 60 points since the 0405 lockout. And aside from Brad Boys and Paul Stasny, you've been able to rely on 14 or 15 of the others for anywhere between 60 to 100 points after their big rookie debut. The jury, of course, is still out on William Nylander and Mitch Marner, who just accomplished a feat last year, but I'm I'm reasonably optimistic for both of them and more optimistic about McKinnon. Uh, That said, several rookies who have that big season did not take the step back that McKinnon took in his sophomore year, not to mention the two that followed where McKinnon managed to get up to the mid-50s in points, but no better. So let's take a look at what he's doing so far this year. First number that jumps out, 13% even strength shooting percentage, which for some skaters would be reasonably normal. For Nathan McKinnon, that's double what he's shot over the last three years. He's also seeing a bump in shooting percentage on the power play, but one that's of smaller significance. McKinnon has a career-high 77% IPP right now as well, which is a number that, you know, shouldn't necessarily be that high if it's never been this high before. But for star players... 77% is a reasonably sustainable number. So we don't know if he's there yet, but maybe uh, his offensive rate stats are pretty steady with past years. No big leaps for McKinnon in those rate stats, but still on the higher end of his career benchmarks. And his individual and on-ice expected goals for are currently at career-high levels. Okay, so what does all this mean? I quoted all these numbers to say, Maybe McKinnon is scoring more goals than he deserves to and potentially pointing more often than you'd expect him to on teammates' goals, but he also looks pretty healthy all around and certainly deserves some of the bump that he's gotten in scoring. One of the more notable pieces that I've noticed in his rate stats this year is that his on-ice rate stats have broken through the 60-shot attempt and 30 scoring chances for per 60 thresholds for the first time when he's generally been in the mid-to-high 50s and mid-to-high 20s, respectively. Uh, But he's up at least a couple scoring chances and shot attempts per 60 minutes on ice over each of his previous seasons, and that's a good start. And that indicates that things around him are starting to coalesce and take some kind of coherent shape, which wasn't necessarily the case for McKinnon in any year since his rookie campaign. So can he keep up? 100 or more points. I'm not there yet, but point per game potential for Nathan McKinnon, I can absolutely get with that the rest of this season. And at this point, it's easy to once again call him a 65 or more point guy, which is what we'd hoped for, uh, what we'd hoped he'd be throughout the last few years. And we're still waiting patiently for it to happen. Here we are. I think it can continue. 
Oh my God. So what your conclusion is he's going to be a 65 plus point guy. That's the most boring <laughs> conservative projection I've ever heard. Like I was asking, should he be drafted alongside John Tavares? And you're saying he's going to be maybe a 65 plus point guy. No, no, that's not what I said. I said, I think he can go point per game the rest of the year. I think 65 is a reasonable floor. And that point per game upside remains to next year over Tavares. I wouldn't do it next year. Not at this point. Anyway, over someone like Claude Giroux, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I, the thing that gets me from all of the numbers that you quoted, it seemed like you thought his numbers were pretty healthy for a player in the NHL. And the only thing you were docking him for is he's much higher than his like, previous career percentages. Like his on-ice shooting percentage is higher than it used to be. His IPP is higher than it used to be. But I feel like for someone like Nathan McKinnon on the Colorado Avalanche, which was one of the worst, most terrible teams for the past couple of years, is it really fair to like compare him to these benchmarks that he placed on these terrible teams? So I feel like that wouldn't worry me as much. If you were to say he has like a shooting percentage that's completely unsustainable and no one in the league is ever able to maintain a shooting percentage like that or on-ice shooting percentage, that would concern me more. Seems to me like everything's looking healthy and I'm not too worried that he's doing better than he's ever done before because he's finally on a team with good line mates, including Nico Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog, who we'll get to. But okay, how about now let's start focusing on what we can do during this injury. Who's looking good? Who's looking bad? So with McKinnon out, Alex Kerfoot jumped onto the top line with Rantanen and Landeskog and the top power play yesterday comprised of Rantanen, Landeskog, Tyson Jost and JT Comfort. And then by the way, Jost and Comfort were on the next line, I guess, or line two or line three with Colin Wilson. And there's also a line of Como, Nieto and Carl Soderberg. So uh, right away, you kind of take a look. This team is not very deep. Well, like after that first line, it's pretty much all nobodies across the board. Anyways, the Avalanche got shut out 3-0 by the Jets yesterday. So who knows if all these lines will get shaken up by the time the next game happens. But of the sort of three guys here that seem like they could be getting a bump, you've got Kerfoot on the top line with Ranson and Landeskog. And then you've got Jost and Comfer jumping up to the top power play. Who, if any of these three guys, interest you the most as a short-term pickup while McKinnon is out? I'd be curious to know, like, Comfort, by the way, is the hottest right now. He's got three goals and one assist in his last five games. But Kerfoot on the top line looks pretty good. What do you think? Are any of these three guys interesting you, or are you leaving them all in free agency in all your leagues? All these three guys are rookies, but sort of at, at slightly different stages of their career, and they've all been on our radar at some point this season. Tyson Jost is the one who has the highest pedigree, highest upside, but he's also the baby of the group at 19 years old with no professional experience before this. I would probably, between Kerfoot, Jost, and Comfort, just go with the hottest guy, since as you mentioned, there's give and take in how they're each being deployed, you know, first line for some, top power play for others, and the hottest in both scoring and shooting right now is JT Comfer. So yeah, go for him, keep an eye on the others. There's potential there, but nothing that I feel the need to, to really rush out and get ahead of time unless I'm in a, quite a deep league. Yeah, I guess the real question is, are how good are Rantanen and Landeskog? Because the only reason you'd be jumping on these other guys is because all of a sudden they're jumping on this line that McKinnon has left absent. You know, it's a really good spot to be in. But I be, I feel like a lot of people probably think that the reason why Rantanen and Landeskog are having such great seasons is because they're playing with Nathan McKinnon and maybe not because they're so great. So this is actually a really good opportunity for us to see, like, especially Rantanen, who is having such an amazing season. Miko Rantanen has 50 points in 51 games, so basically a point per game. Now we're finally going to find out how much of this is due to playing with Nathan McKinnon like is he a dry sidle to McDavid you know at first maybe we thought oh is dry sidle really that good or is it because he's playing with Taylor Hall or whatever playing with McDavid now we see dry sidle's really good you know like we saw Artemi Panarin playing with Patrick Kane and now we've seen that actually Panarin's really good even not playing with Patrick Kane we've also seen guys like Pat Maroon be really good playing with Connor McDavid and then do nothing as soon as he goes on another line so who is Miko Rantanen more like do you think is he uh 
you know, a dry sidle or is he a pet maroon? Well, we already knew that Miko Rantanen was due to regress even before McKinnon was injured. And now it's going to be a little annoying because he's going to drop in points and we won't really be able to attribute how much of it is to regression and how much of it is because he needs Nathan McKinnon to produce. Uh, Of course, McKinnon being out isn't going to help and he's going to have some challenges continuing to put up a point pace as he has so far. I would still think that he is quite capable on his own. I think it's more like Landeskog now is the one who's in more trouble because he got to play with Rantanen and McKinnon. Well, Rantanen, I would call him more of a dry sidle than a maroon. Cool. Well, yeah, Landeskog, by the way, is quietly up to 40 points in 47 games, which is good for a 70-point pace. So that's amazing. Also, I take it you're preferring Rantanen over Landeskog. Like, which of the two do you think is more likely to be able to keep producing at their current paces while McKinnon is injured? I'm going to stick with Rantanen for that answer. But again, very curious to see because Landeskog, we haven't seen this from him since his rookie season. And Rantanen, we've never seen it from him for a full season before. So we're still learning a lot about these guys. Hard to really learn with McKinnon out, but maybe there'll be a nugget we can take away at the end of these two to four weeks. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like Actually, Ryan here in the chat room asked, I was going to ask, is it time to explore selling high on Rantanen? And I think it's actually maybe the opposite, right? Like I feel like since McKinnon's only going to be out two to four weeks, so he's going to be back for your fantasy hockey playoffs, I wonder if you could almost hope that Rantanen does not as well over the next couple of weeks and then try to buy low on him before McKinnon comes back. Maybe the owner will, you know, just go, like, oh, he sucks now. I'm going to get rid of him. And then it's your chance to get him. And you'd hope that once McKinnon comes back, everything goes back to normal. Anyways, Brian, since we're on the abs, we've got to mention Semyon Varlamov finally returned from his groin injury yesterday. Played well. They were they lost, but he only led two goals on 31 shots. So you can't blame Semyon Varlamov. The Avalanche couldn't score a goal. After having such an amazing stretch, Jonathan Bernier ended his tenure as the for sure number one, like while Valimov was injured with three straight, like more human games. He led three goals in each of his last three games. So kind of really set the stage for Valimov to just come back and take over the starting job, I think. Like, Brian, like at this point, because Bernier was so good. He was like one of the top players of the month, I feel like over the past month, like pretty much ever since Valimov got injured. Now that Varlamov is back and Bernays had these three-week games, are we pretty much done with Bernier? Like, if he were dropped in any of your leagues, would you be rushing to add Bernier? I remember at one point you were saying that you think they might be a bit of a timeshare or, like, Varlamov will have to earn his job back. I really have the sense that it's Varlamov's job and Bernier's back to being exactly what he was before the initial injury. What do you think? Yeah, you and I are actually surprisingly divided on this because you were the one who was talking up Bernier as he came up, and I was like, ah, you know, he's Jonathan Bernier. We can't expect a whole lot from him. And then he did so well, and you were right. And now you're jumping off the Bernier train way quicker than I am. Jonathan Bernier has played better than Varlamov all season long. And Varlamov has been really underwhelming this year, playing below league average at a 9-12 save percentage right now. And last year he was an 899 goalie. So I think he's going to have to earn the number one job again rather than get to walk right into it, especially while Colorado is locked in a pretty tight playoff race and they can't afford for their goalie to be faltering, giving up bad goals crushing their hopes at winning games. Both goalies, Varlamov and Bernier, are worth keeping an eye on. I think both have the potential to get runs of starts until they falter. I could see Colorado going with a hot hand strategy here since neither guy, Varlamov or Bernier, has really been able to prove himself dependable as a sure thing for a number one goalie. It's always a little scary to own either one because they've both blown you up in the past. But if you need starts, uh, I don't know. I don't know which one, if you have to choose between one or the other, I think I would go Varlamov. I think it's still his job to lose, but I still think he's playing for it every single night. 
You know, Brian, I, like I'm getting deja vu because we had this conversation on our mailbag show last week. And I thought I like very much co- corrected you that Varlamov it hasn't been a 9-12 goalie. Like you're quoting his whole season stats. So yeah, if you look at the whole season, including all of his blowups at the beginning of the year, he was 9-12. If you look at over the past two months, he's been a 9-23 goalie. Like I'm sure like I could go and do some more farther back. Like, I don't know. We'd have to look at the game log. I feel like it's I feel like it's a bit wrong. Like, I guess we'll have to wait and see. It'll be fun to wait and see. I'm pretty confident that Varlamov is the starting goalie. I don't think that he's having to earn his job every game. And I think the fact that Bernier sort of struggled right at the end, right before Varlamov came back, just cements it. Like, Colorado trusts Varlamov to be the number one goalie. They, they were rolling with him all season long. They were. They were. And that's why I think it's still his job to lose. But I don't think it's settled for sure. Like maybe I'm being like, maybe what I'm saying isn't going to help you figure out what to do with Jonathan Bernie. Yeah. You can probably let him go, but I don't think that it's unlikely that he gets another run of three or four games. If Varlamov struggles. Yeah. Varlamov's had a great, you know, last month before getting injured or whatever, but his save percentage the last three years, nine, 12, eight, 98. I've said eight, 99 before eight, 98 and nine, 14. That is not number one goalie material. I know He's been playing for a for a not-so-good Avalanche team, and maybe that's had an impact on how low those numbers have been. But he has not been a dependable goalie for three years now. Who cares? So I don't Who cares? think he... Three years ago, so long. Like, Brian, they were in the playoff race. Like, this whole year, before Varlamov got injured, they were in a playoff spot. Like, everyone was talking about how good Colorado was this year. He was a big part of it. Anyway. I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, last couple of years were brutal, but everyone, like, you know, Pickard came up. I don't know if he's a great example. Like, God, who knows how good he is? I thought he was actually kind of good. Toronto's not giving him a chance. But uh, yeah, Varlamov uh, was bad the last couple of years, but so were all the Avalanche. And I, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, who knows? I, but maybe I'm biased. I have Varlamov and I picked up Bernier when Varlamov was injured. And I've since dropped Bernier and I'm really banking on Varlamov being somewhat decent for me. So who knows? Maybe I just am looking at this with rose colored glasses, as they say. I mean, look, Bernier has not been any better a goalie than Varlamov over the last four seasons. So to think that he suddenly is better is is misguided. I'm just saying Varlamov struggles. Bernier can get the net. Bernier can hold it with one or two good performances or like seven, which he was just able to put together. All right. So it looks like Avalanche were a bit divided. We also didn't agree fully on the Nathan McKinnon upside, I think. Uh, okay. Let's go to another team. See if we can get back together here. Let's go to our next injury. Jacob Truba is expected to miss six to eight weeks with an ankle injury. Truba actually, like, he's not super fantasy relevant at this point. Like, he had assists in two straight games and had a big surge in ice time in those last couple of games he's played before he got injured. So it's kind of disappointing that, like, just as maybe things were starting to look up. And who knows if they actually were. I would have asked you on the podcast. You probably would have said, don't worry about it. But, anyways, it's too bad. Now he's injured. He's going to be out for a while so he's not gonna be able to turn this disappointing season around at least not in the short term it doesn't seem to me like there's any clear beneficiaries of truba getting injured and by the way shout out to new patron richard who told us don't say benefactor say beneficiaries that's the correct grammatical way to say it so yeah i don't think there are any clear beneficiaries from truba being injured the one that jumps to mind is maybe dustin bufflin whose ice time had been low like that was a thing in the news like i was seeing on rotor world like bufflin wasn't happy with how he wasn't getting much ice time when he came back from his injury obviously there's going to be a lot more ice time to go around with jacob truba injured someone who was eating up a lot of ice time looks like bufflin recently has been getting a bump in his ice time he's been getting like top minutes but he's still only putting up like a point every couple of games. Do you think at this point, is Dustin Bufflin just snake bitten? Like he has no goals in nine games now. And he's only on like a 40-ish point pace. Like, is he just a 40-ish point player at this point? Or do you expect him to get back closer to the 50-point pace player that he's been for the last few years? 
Snake bitten is a word you could use to describe Dustin Bufflin so far this season, but it's not nearly the whole story for Bufflin. This year is pretty much the fourth part of a year-over-year decline in a lot of important, even-strength offensive numbers. Bufflin's individual expected goals for, shots per 60, scoring chances per 60, high-danger scoring chances per 60, all down for four consecutive years. And the decline that we're seeing specifically this year compared to the ones in the last three is of greater magnitude than between any of the others. Like we're seeing significant drops, especially in individual scoring chance numbers. And that is definitely showing up in Bufflin's point totals as well as in his shot totals. Look at his shots. He's on pace for just 159 shots on goal, which would not only be a career low, but it would be the first sub 200 shot campaign of his career. And like sometimes if that happens, you're like 10 off, 15 off, but he would be missing the 200 shot plateau by 41 shots on his current pace. That's a pretty startling drop-off for Dustin Bufflin. A little less ice time being offered to him has something to do with it, but like his low shooting percentage, thinking that's the whole story obscures the fact that Bufflin is just simply slowing down altogether. So I'll give him 40 points, maybe 45 if he can find a way to step up, but I feel like that's about as optimistic as I can get. If you own him, I hope you're at least in a bangers and mash league because the blocks and hits are still coming at his usual rates. Yeah, though, actually, the blocks haven't even been that dependable, unfortunately. Not that he was ever, like, known to be a huge blocker. So, yeah, Dustin Bubble, that's, that's disappointing that you say that. Kind of riding him, hoping for the best in my cuckupful, Keeban Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Tier 2 division, which I just got hammered in this week by Anthony. And now I'm going to have to be fighting for that buy spot. And I need Dustin Bufflin to get his stuff together. Don't worry, don't worry Brian. I, I'm going to keep this family show. Okay, even though we're talking about Dustin Bufflin, who's disappointing me. Someone else who's been disappointing his owners is Kyle Connor. He's actually been through a very interesting case study lately. Like I know we've talked about him a lot, but I just want to bring him up now because like we already discussed last week that he was bumped to line four, which made me think, oh, it's going to be tough. And then we were saying, oh, but maybe he has the opportunity to get back to line one at some point because like is really Roslovich going to hold that spot but yeah like actually he ended up doing pretty well Kyle Connor on the fourth line he managed to score a goal from that line on Tuesday versus Tampa then he had a goal and assist on Thursday versus Vegas so then it's kind of like oh maybe that's good like if he could even produce not on the top line that's pretty good at the same time that would always concern me it's kind of like a Yanni Gord situation we'll get to him later it's like I don't like it when a player is producing from a bottom line because then it makes me think that they're less likely to get back to the top line and there's no way he could sustain scoring goals at a regular rate while on line four like not getting many minutes right but anyways it seems like on Saturday's game Kyle Connor got back on line one with line A and Wheeler for a little bit so we'll have to wait and see how things look moving forward by the way Shifley's gonna be back at some point so that's another player in the mix but if you recall it was Shifley with Wheeler and Kyle Connor on the first line before Shifley got injured. So it could still be a good situation for Connor. Anyways, Brian, I forget. Do you still have Kyle Connor on your tier one Sweden Kakupful team? And if you do, like, is he on the bubble for you? Or if you dropped him, I guess that would be interesting to know. Like, I'm curious to know what you think of him at this point. Like, is he worth holding for that sweet, sweet line one, power play one, upside potential for multi-point games? Or are people kind of being stubborn if they hold on to him, if there are decent replacement or streaming options out there? Like, Brian, we actually still have him in our joint league. And, like, Kyle Post has been there for a while, and I've never picked him up just because he's never had a good schedule. But I feel like at this point, how can we not drop Kyle Connor for Kyle Ocposo, right? It's one Kyle for another. That drop makes sense in our context where we're streaming out a lot and there are lots of replacement forwards available. So if Connor does go on a run, we can either get him back or someone who at least is on a similar run will likely be available. In my tier one Sweden Cupful, my first place team does still have him. And one of those reasons is because he has somehow 
earned himself a stay. He, he's been right on the bubble, right on the edge of being dropped for me. I, I picked him up pretty early in the year, but he's just managed to hang on by producing from where he is right now, which is incredible. Two goals, one assist, and nine shots in his last three games with his ice time trending back up. It had been down to 10 minutes. It was up to 14 in his most recent game. I like to think that when he's in the bottom six, it's kind of like a training ground for him where Paul Maurice wants him to work on some parts of his game and eventually he works his way back into the top six because it's not like Jack Roslovich is shooting the lights out up there. And Kyle Connor, I don't believe, is in the bottom six to help create or balance out offense. I don't know if he can quite carry that burden on his shoulders, which is why I'm still holding out hope he'll end up back in the top six. And I don't mind waiting for him to get there as long as he's still putting up shots and points. I don't care if he's on the third or fourth line. Right, and he's still been on the top power play, at least, so he's helping you there. Okay, another player who's had a disappointing season and is now injured is Connor Sheary, who's week-to-week with a lower body injury. Another guy like Truba, not necessarily fantasy-relevant at this point, but interesting to bring him up just to see how that affects the rest of the team. Sheary also kind of had a couple of games with points in a row, playing on line one with Crosby and Simone, before, but then he got he went pointless in two straight games before getting hurt. When I said also, I'm referring to how Truba had a couple points before he got hurt. Anyway, so now there's a line one spot with Sidney Crosby, up for grabs of course we have to bring it up on keeping carlson like we've done every few weeks for the past three years and right now it seems like the guy who's gotten there is brian rust who recently returned from injury and last couple games he's been playing on the crosby line it looks like he started yesterday with crosby and simone but then gensel took simone's spot early on in the 3-1 loss to new jersey so we'll see how that shakes out moving forward but rust you know he was quiet in his first couple games back he was in the bottom six no surprise but he exploded for two goals and one assist versus san jose on tuesday then he scored a goal on five shots versus washington on friday no points yesterday in this game against new jersey but all of a sudden like i've asked you many times over the past couple of years should people be looking at brian rust as a streaming option while he's online one with Sidney crosby i kind of feel like i know exactly what your answer is going to be and like you can correct me if i'm wrong you're going to be like huh, worth a shot while he's online one but don't expect it to last. <laughs> Anything else to throw in there that you would say that, I, that I'm not expecting? No, we all know the drill by now. You could probably just splice in my response from, I don't know, the nine other shows where you've asked this question. It has not changed. But even though it never changes, we still need to always bring it up because you got to let people know now's the time to potentially stream in Brian Rust. Well, is that Sidney Crosby has been so, so good. Like, by the way, Brian, did you? Okay, over the past month, the top three scores in the whole NHL are Crosby, Malkin, both with 22 points in 12 games over the past month, which is crazy, almost two points a game. And then Phil Kessel is third with 19 points in 12 games over the past month. So it's definitely good to have players playing with these guys if they're putting up one or even two points every game on average. And it's interesting. Let's take a look how this affects. After this month, all these Penguins have done so well. Let's take a look at the overall NHL scoring leads and see who we think is in line for the Art Ross Trophy at this point. So we've got Kucherov leading the league in points with 66 points. Next is Kessel. Kessel's second in the league in points with 63 points. Poor McKinnon has 61. He's obviously going to fall. Then you've got Malkin, Stamkos, and Voracek with 60. Remember, the leader had 66. Johnny Gaudreau has 59 points. Crosby, Giroux, Tavares, and Wheeler are all tied with 58. And then we've got Bailey and McDavid at 56. So we've got ranging from 56 to 66. McDavid at the bottom there. Crosby starting to catch up 
with 58. Like I said, Malkin's at 60. So there's a lot of interesting names in here. Like, Brian, at this point, who's your pick to run away with the Art Ross Trophy? Like, we were both saying a couple months ago, like, it's still going to probably be McDavid at the end of the day. At this point, it's going to be really tough for Connor McDavid to catch up. Like, he has 11 points in his last 10 games. And I feel like even if he keeps up that exact pace, which would be amazing, and I feel like it's not fair to expect anything more, I still don't think he'd catch up. Like, other people are putting up better paces. And plus, he has to put up a better pace than those guys and, like, enough to catch up and make up this 10-point difference. I don't think it's going to be Connor McDavid. Curious to know who you think it's going to be. I'm going to go with a vague sort of specific answer and saying I think it's going to be a Pittsburgh Penguin. We were talking about this on the patron mailbag last week, specifically how Phil Kessel is on pace or was on pace at that point for 52 power play points, which is insane because, well, there's a case to be made that his pace is reasonably sustainable and to boot. We've named Pittsburgh as a team with one of the lower even strength shooting percentages in the league through the first half of the season, and that's bound to rebound over the second half, which would offer even more opportunity for even strength points for Kessel, Crosby, Malkin. Big thing that could get in the way for any Penguin winning the Art Ross is fatigue. They've had so little time off over the last two or three years. So if that does hit them hard, take effect, if they qualify for the playoffs and they sit some players to wrestle, which they definitely should if they get the chance, I will go uh, one of the Tampa Bay Lightning players. Can I choose the team that they'll come from instead of the specific player? You can, but then you can't brag about it when you get it right. Uh, I'm going to go with, give me Malkin. When's the last time Malkin's won the Art Ross? I feel like he never plays a full season. I hope I'm not jinxing him right now and causing him to get injured because we're always afraid of that. But I think if Malkin could play the whole season, that'd be pretty exciting. But Crosby, obviously also a really great contender and Kucherov's been so good. Yeah, could be a lot of guys. Give me Malkin. Evgeny Malkin won the award in 2008-2009. It'd be pretty great if he returns to win the award nine years later. Wow. Ooh, I wonder who has the record for the most distance between two Art Ross wins. Maybe someone could look that up and tweet at us, or maybe Brian is like looking it up right now very quickly. Uh, since we're on Pittsburgh, if you're in a super deep league where backup goalies are usually owned, I should point out Casey DeSmith was sent down. Tristan Jari was called up. So now Tristan Jari is the backup. So, you know, if you're in a league where DeSmith was owned, if you owned DeSmith and he was valuable to you as a backup who's going to play once every couple of weeks or so, then yeah, I guess time to grab Tristan Jari. Though I think we could clearly say all the questions about who who's the starting goalie on Pittsburgh, are well behind us. Matt Murray has won his two games since returning. He's been fined. I doubt there's any question anymore if it's his job or not. I think Pittsburgh clearly wants to be his job. The fact that they keep switching between Jari and DeSmith as the backup kind of answers that question for us. Okay, first off, fact check. Evgeny Malkin also won the Art Ross in 2011-2012, so it would be six years apart. I'm still interested to know if we can find an answer. Marty St. Louis won in 03 and 04, and then again in 2012-13, which is nine years apart, except one year of hockey wasn't played uh, because of a lockout. And his second win, like at the end of that range, was in the lockout shortened season. So I don't know how we count that. Anyway, as for the Pens goalies, I am glad that Jari's up to Smith is down and Matt Murray is starting. I am glad we can seemingly finally put the Penguins goalie question to bed for now. Yeah, I mean, we have enough goalie questions to discuss later on in the show. So at least for this one, for now, we can forget about. Brian, I, as you know, have this bet going. I mentioned on the last episode, I have a bet on the Penguins to win the Cup. So I'm very happy about all this Penguins talk and how good they're looking. And you know what? I kind of want to see how good they're looking in person. I want to see my investment in like with my eyes to make sure that they're as good as I think they are. And of course, what better way to see them live than to go to a Pittsburgh Penguins game 
and to get those tickets to the game through our sponsor for this week's episode, SeatGeek. Because guys, buying tickets to sports and concerts, it can be complicated, it can be confusing. But don't worry, there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. They're the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of event. So you go to a hockey game, go to a concert, go to whatever. If you want a last minute deal, like you can just go there, check out what's a good value ticket for today. You check it out. Oh, this looks good. I'm going to get it. SeatGeek, you click it. You'll see a price. That price, by the way, is the actual price you're going to pay for the ticket. There's not going to be hidden fees at the end or anything like that. It's just a really good experience using SeatGeek. And as you know, there's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. And with SeatGeek, you will get closer to the action for great value. I would love to go on a road trip to Pittsburgh and see the Penguins. I actually have a Penguins jersey, and uh, I need to have some use for it because they're going to make me some money this year. Who's on the back of your Penguins jersey? There is no name actually so it's open what era it'll be tristan jari maybe at the end of the season depending on how things go what okay well I, if murray gets injured and then jari takes me to uh to a cup i'll take it what era is your penguins jersey from it says pittsburgh like the whole word spelled from the top left i believe down to the bottom right so i don't know what era that is it's kind of like orangey like the letters yeah that seems like a great opportunity for a yager jersey if my if my eras are right or maybe kevin stevens did he wear that jersey in any case you can wear whatever jersey you want to the game you buy tickets for from seat geek and you can even go out and buy a jersey with the savings you'll get from buying your first pair of tickets or ticket on seat geek all keeping carlson listeners will get 20 dollars off their first seat geek purchase just download the seat geek app and enter promo code keeping today that's promo code keeping for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase to put towards a jersey. Cool. So with that, you could be a geek, you could buy a seat, and let's move on to our next injury, which is Pavel Buchnevich. He was injured on Thursday night. He has a concussion, no timetable for his return. Kind of sucks for the Rangers because also Jimmy Vesey had taken Buchnevich's spot on line one with Zibanejad and Nash, but then he got hurt by Philip Forsberg yesterday. And we'll talk about Forsberg in a little bit. He got suspended for this. And anyway, so now JT Miller has ended up taking this spot on the top line with Zibanejad and Nash. By the way, JT Miller had a great game on Saturday. He had a power play goal and a power play assist. So yeah, he's also been on the top power play, I should mention, with Zibanejad, Nash, Zuccarello, and McDonough. Seems like a good time to grab JT Miller, I would think, especially with the Rangers having a really sweet schedule next week. They play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, all those off days, four games in the week. I feel like JT Miller's one of these guys, he's always a solid 50 to 55 point guy, like no matter where he is on the roster, like he seems like a pretty consistent depth option for your team. So he wouldn't have been a bad ad even before, but if he's available now, obviously he's going to get a bit of a bump. I would think getting the top line and top power play minutes. So Brian, and, and also I guess as you're telling me if you agree or disagree about JT Miller being a good ad, he's the kind of guy that I wonder if people should be considering to drop, you know, a Kyle Connor for, you know, like someone is available like Miller that you know is going to get a good spot for next week and has a good schedule. Is it time to cut bait on Connor if someone like that is available? Well, we already talked about why you might not want to cut bait on Connor while he's producing from a poor deployment state and why he can still get up there. But if there's someone else to cut bait on, or I don't know, like JT Miller, we've seen him benefit from good deployment before, and this is another opportunity. We've also seen JT Miller get moved around the lineup even while playing well before. So if you do add him, he's a guy you need to keep an eye on to see where he's playing from night to night. And keep in mind, the Rangers lineup thinning out a little bit. Now Kreider's out, Buchnevich is out. Might be a little harder to produce offense, especially when other teams' defense and top shutdown lines really have less to key in on if they're loading up on that first line. 
Yeah, and don't forget, Kevin Chattenkirk is out. So yeah, the Rangers are really hurting. And obviously, all these injuries, while they maybe are going to benefit JT Miller a little bit, they're definitely not benefiting Henrik Lundqvist. He's been really bad lately. He's put up four straight terrible games. He's been pulled in two of those games. To me, like Henrik Lundqvist has always been like the prime example of a goalie who can be so red hot and amazing for a stretch and then go like ice cold and be terrible. We talked about all through like last season and I think even a bit the season before. Like Lundqvist just, you never know. He's going to be good, then he's going to be bad. This year, it seemed like he was almost like putting that to bed. Like he was doing well for so long. He had a couple months where he was like amazing every game. Now he's cold. What are you expecting the rest of the way for Henrik Lundqvist? I'd imagine he would be a guy you could buy low on right now. Like I'm sure the owner must be pretty frustrated that he's totally blown his last four games, probably ruined his save percentage for the past couple of weeks. So at this point, you could probably get Henrik Lundqvist for cheaper than you've ever been able to, at least for this year. But the thing is, do you expect him to bounce back and get up to putting up amazing 950 save percentage plus games? for another month at some point like when it when it counts i don't know i don't know just when we were praising henrik longvist for being consistently excellent after showing so much inconsistency in recent years he's now dropped four decisions in a row and has been just a 904 goalie over his last 11 appearances so yeah i'd be a little concerned about him the rest of the way if only also like if you're not if you just think he's in a cold snap and he's going to snap out of it you know we have heard that the rangers are rumored to be sellers at the deadline and Lungvist will be one of the guys who suffers if he gets to stay in New York, watch quality teammates walk out the door at the trade deadline. You also wonder if this will be the third year in a row that we see a week March or April from him. That's what's happened the last couple of years. Remember, he's not young, obviously. He's played plenty of hockey this year. In fact, if Lungvist starts two-thirds of New York's remaining games for the rest of the year, He's going to have seen as many starts as a 35-year-old as he's been seeing since the age of 29, which, of course, we can't expect him to really be playing at the same level he did back then as a 35-year-old. So there are a couple reasons to be concerned about Henrik down the line. If you can get him cheap enough, I'm sure he can turn in a good performance every so often, but I am worried that he's just going to be inconsistent. So Henrik Lundqvist is 35? He actually turns 36 in like three weeks, March 2nd. Wow, very exciting for him. Wow, so old. And that's my age. Oh my God. I got, I, I'm there. I, I, this is like a cliche thing now. Because people watching hockey, they'll be like, oh man, this player, they call him young. I'm actually older than that guy. And now I'm this person. So look at me. Congrats to me. Okay, let's just move on. Let's talk about the St. Louis Blues and let's talk about some line changes. So we're done with injuries, thankfully. But yeah, what you say about the Rangers is kind of scary for Henrik Lundqvist. Not only are they dealing with all these injuries, but now they're also going to get rid of like all of a sudden, well, Zibanejad's not probably not going anywhere. But I imagine like a Rick Nash is a prime candidate to go as well. So yeah, things are going to get thinner. And thinner if that happens. Yeah, so like I'm saying, let's move on to talk about some line changes. It's always interesting to see what teams are doing, shifting things around, who that affects. Brian, did anyone else even notice? I didn't notice this, but apparently Vince Dunn has been getting top power play time on. And okay, I'll leave this for an exercise to the listener right now. I'll bet you at least 50% of listeners might not even know who Vince Dunn is and what team he's on. So I'll tell you, he's been getting top power play time on the St. Louis Blues for the past six games we were so busy over the last couple of episodes talking about Jaden schwartz coming back and like who tarasenko was going to play with and we were also talking a lot about carter hutton and whether he's going to steal the number one job from jake allen we didn't even take a look at the back end and realize that this guy vince dunn has been getting top power play time not alex petrangelo so of course one reason i didn't notice this about vince dunn is because he hasn't done Get it? I know you're, you like that stuff. Okay, he hasn't done much of anything there. He's pointless in his last three games. He did have two power play assists in his three games before that. So he was getting a couple of power play points. So he has two now in his last 
five games, six games or whatever. Meanwhile, Alex Petrangelo, he's also pointless in three. He's playing in a second power play role. So, Brian, like, what's happening here? Everyone assumed Colton Pareko would be the guy to bump Petrangelo eventually from the top power play if anyone would. Do you think this will last? Like, who is Vince Dunn? Why is the coach putting him there? And does he need to be streamed in just in case he, this lasts? Like, I feel like you got to have the defenseman on the top power play on St. Louis playing with Tarasenko and Schwartz and Shen and, like, Steen and all these great guys. I'm pretty sure I told you who Vince Dunn was the last time he got a turn on the power play, which didn't last in case you've forgotten, which clearly you have. I don't know if our listeners have, probably. Uh, Vince Dunn is a 21-year-old late second rounder of St. Louis in 2015, and he had 47 points in 74 career AHL games. He'd only played a couple in the minors this year before becoming a fixture in the St. Louis lineup. He had a couple big shot games a couple of weeks ago, but aside from that, Vince Dunn has not done all that much just four goals seven assists for 11 points on the season he's played most of it he has just one assist in his last four and Dunn has only taken three shots on goal he's also giving you no peripherals and third pairing minutes so I'm not going to give up much if I'm interested in Vince Dunn I might not grab him at all unless you're in the deepest of leagues and in need of defense that said there still could be some upside. Like he did score at the AHL level. He is getting this play on the top power play. So maybe there is some offensive side to him that we have yet to see come out. He has said in interviews that he models himself after Drew Doughty. That could be good. But then again, I modeled myself after Patrick Waugh and look how that turned out. I think that doing this podcast, I'm modeling myself after Bob McKenzie. How's that working out? Do you think it's, I, I think thought, it, I thought Rob C. Oh, yeah, maybe Rob C also. But okay, Brian, like sometimes every once in a while, you have to say, like, even though this player isn't doing anything, he hasn't produced recently, we still recommend to add him. So I don't know if I'm necessarily recommending to add Vince Dunn, but he should definitely be at the top of your watch list. Like a top power play defenseman on the Blues is normally a very valuable spot. Like everyone was going crazy when they thought that, like when Shattenkirk got traded and everyone thought that Colton Pareko would be getting that spot, like people were falling over themselves last year to add Colton Pareko just because he'd have this opportunity. So I feel like he's, I'm, I'm going to have another guy later in the show actually who hasn't been doing anything, but I'm kind of interested just because of the new spot he's on in the lineup. So if you're not going to add Vince Dunn, I would add him to your watch list at the very least and see if he does start producing, you'll know why. And you'll know that it could be something that lasts, or maybe he gets bumped off this top power play and Alex Petrangelo takes his job back sometime soon. Like what, is, what does this even mean for Alex Petrangelo? Brian, like, what would you expect from him going forward if he's off the top power play? Should his owners, like, try to sell him to someone who doesn't even realize that he's been bumped from the top unit? Or do you think that eventually Petrangelo is just going to get his job back? I don't think this impacts Alex Petrangelo a whole lot. I've yet to see any real explanation or indication that there are some long-term implications from Vince Dunn being tried on the top power play. What I saw leading towards it was that the St. Louis Blues had scored just once on their 27 power play opportunities before they made the switch. That probably led to the shakeup, and it actually paid immediate dividends. The Blues have now scored on five of their last 14 power plays in their last six games. How much of that is because Vince Dunn is there and not Alex Petrangelo? I'm not so sure. So I guess it's something to monitor, but at this point, I'm still expecting Petrangelo to be back as the top power play option before long. 
Yeah, I mean, also Jaden Schwartz has returned. So, I mean, him being on the top unit must be doing something as well. I would expect that it's Jaden Schwartz's return, not Vince Dunn being there leading to this improvement in the power play. But yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. Definitely something to keep monitoring. I think we'll have to bring this up again next week or maybe in a couple of weeks if the situation remains and Petrangelo doesn't get a spot back. Since we're on St. Louis, I know I already said, but let's take a... Okay, let's just say it. Carter Hutton is the starting goalie now on St. Louis, right? Like, I don't think it's any more if maybe, I'm not sure. They're still trying him out. They're still waiting see like jake allen had a great game on thursday he led in only two goals on 45 shots versus boston and still carter hutton got the next start on saturday against buffalo and by the way he shut them out and you know i feel like that is the sign that someone is the starting goalie like usually if if jake allen were the starting goalie and they were just you know going with the hot hand for now then i feel like if jake allen had a good game the coach would say hey Let's play him again, get him back on track. But since he decided, even though Jake Allen was great, he was like, no, no, we're for sure going back to our guy, Carter Hutton. And then Carter Hutton got a shutout. I kind of feel like he's the starting goalie. Yeah, that's what a starting goalie does. I still think long-term, it's got to be Jake Allen for anybody really holding out hope and, and needs that nugget, that reason to be optimistic. It was right around this time last year where he took over the job, took it back, proved himself capable of being number one after a terrible season up until that point. He was like a 938 down the stretch or something, won the large majority of his starts. So maybe uh, maybe February, mid-February is going to bring good vibes for Jake Allen. But as long as Carter Hutton is still performing well, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for him. But they still call Jake Allen, like I read the post-game interviews, they still call him their go-to guy. But I guess they haven't really been walking that walk. Yeah. Okay. So at least for now, it seems like it's hard to depend. Like if you're in a weekly league, I wouldn't be starting Jake Allen in any weeks expecting more than a start. But yeah, maybe long term, they go back to Jake Allen. You'd have to think so, right? He's Carter Hutton. Like he's been around forever and we've we've never uh, thought anything of him. Like I remember one time, Brian, you were saying that you thought he would steal the job from Pecorine because Pecorine was like old and, and disabled and all of this at the time. Or so we thought. Now Pecorine has been amazing, by the way. But anyway, no one thought that Carter Hutton was going to challenge Jake Allen long term. So very interesting. Interesting and surprising. Let's go to another team where they've shaken up the lines. Anthony Bavillier and Anders Lee swapped spots on the Islanders after they were on a cold stretch. They got shut out by the Leafs on Wednesday. I was at that game. I'll admit, I didn't notice Anders Lee on the ice for the most part, or pretty much any Islanders forwards. I did see John Tavares getting very angry at various points when he just couldn't get a puck pass or even through towards Frederick Anderson. Anyways, seems like this line change may have worked as the Islanders beat Columbus 4-3 yesterday. So again, this means that Anthony Bavillier goes to line one to play with Tavares and Josh Bailey, and Anders Lee goes to line two to play with Barzil and Eberle. Though, I wonder, is this like, at first I would think, oh man, Bavillier now goes from like must own as we've been saying he is to like must must own like whatever higher level there is now that he's on line one right we were already into him and now he's all of a sudden up playing with John Tavares at the same time maybe being on line one with Tavares and Bailey is like just as good as being on line two with Barzil and Everly like Barzil's two assists yesterday brought him to 53 points in 53 games so he's a point per game guy Tavares had a power play assist yesterday but it was actually his first point in five games of course Tavares still has 58 points and 53 on the year but it seems like at least recently like Tavares and Barzil not too much difference which one you're playing with in terms of get being getting some benefit from being a line mate of one of these amazing centers. Anyways, Bavillier didn't take Anders Lee's spot from the top power play along with his line one spot, but any fear that this could be happening, Brian, like I would be worried as an Anders Lee owner. Bavillier already took him from line one. And you know what? Lee has been doing nothing lately. He is pointless in five, only three points in his last 15 games. I wonder if it's just a matter of time before he gets bumped from the top power play as well. So 
I guess we don't need to talk about Bavillier anymore. We already said before that he's a must-add. Obviously, if he's still available, you want to get him. But what about Anders Lee? Is he in drop territory now? Like, who would you even prefer between Lee and Bavillier in the couple, let's say, if both were available? Yeah, what is the deal with Anders Lee? Just three goals and no assists in 15 games, dating all the way back to New Year's Eve. He has 33 shots in those 15 games, so he's still getting his usual two and a bit shots per game, but none of the assists he can generally get with them. In fact, Anders Lee's last assist came on December 19th, which is 21 games ago. And of course, Beauvillier has been a point-per-game player in that same stretch. So yeah, with being bumped off the top line, Maybe it's time to let go of Anders Lee. You're right that line two really is as good a place to produce as line one these days. But Lee isn't producing from anywhere. And you wonder if this is the first step towards like falling even further down the lineup. Lee has been straight up worse across the board than last year in offensive rate stats. And there's no percentage or rate I'm seeing to suggest that Anders Lee has deserved a whole lot better than he's gotten at even strength this year. So I will take Beauvillier or honestly would consider any other top free agent ahead of Anders Lee at this point. So like JT Miller is available. You're going him over Anders Lee. I think I would drop Anders Lee before Kyle Connor. Is that too hot to take? No, I think that's fair. I mean, I do think Anders Lee clearly has the upside. He was so good at the start of the year. He was like almost a point per game himself at first, really clicking with John Tavares and then eventually Josh Bailey also on that line. But yeah, cold now. I kind of think that I would hold on to Anders Lee a bit longer. I don't know. We're, we're a bit off sync uh, this week, but I kind of feel like Anders Lee is the kind of guy that still like has been known to take a lot of shots. I don't, I don't know. I, I would hold out at least a little bit longer, but it's definitely very concerning for sure. At least if your league counts hits, he helps you a bit there. Anyway, okay, next team, the San Jose Sharks. They've still been kind of changing things around a bit since we last talked about them. They're still, you know, I guess trying to figure out what's the best configuration with Joe Thornton out. In the 3-1 win over the Hurricanes today, these were the lines they were going with. They had Couture, Hurdle, and LeBanc, which I think that's been a pretty solid line the whole way through. And then they were going with Pavelski, with Meyer, and Donskoy. So no more Bodker or, was it Chris Tierney in the top six. So again, that's Couture, Hurdle, LeBanc, and then Pavelski, Meyer, Donskoy. It's been five games now since Thornton got hurt, and it seems like the clear beneficiary, I said it again, so far has been Kevin LeBanc. He has been, and sorry, I have to say this, apparently it's like the rule anytime anyone writes a blog post or tweets anything about Kevin LeBanc, you have to say he's been money in LeBanc, right? He had no points today, but he had three assists versus the Rangers last week. He had a goal versus Detroit on Tuesday, had a goal and an assist versus Columbus on Thursday. Both of those were on the power play, by the way. So I feel like at this point, it seems like Kevin LeBanc is going to be a fixture in that top six, probably on this Couture line, which I think is the top line at this point. Also, he seems to be a fixture on power play one, he should be added, right? Like, if he's available, would he be the type you drop the Connor for? Like, I'd be curious to know, like, Anders Lee versus Kevin LeBanc or JT Miller or all these guys. Like, you, you don't have to do a full ranking, Brian, but just, like, how good is Kevin LeBanc at this point? Should people be rushing to add him? Or am I, like, getting too excited over, like, what kind of amounts, like, a good week and a half? Though I just feel like he's been good ever since Joe Thornton got injured, so it kind of tells me that there's something going on here. It's not just a good week and a half. It's a change of deployment that he's been benefiting from. The thing that LeBanc has added to his game is two or three shots in each of his last five games. And this is a guy for whom low and inconsistent shot totals, that's been a problem in terms of maintaining fantasy relevance. So yeah, I'll take Kevin LeBanc as a fixture in his new position. Seems like more of a fixture than either JT Miller or Connor, though Miller has a better schedule next week and Kyle Connor could still possess better upside. And as for Anders Lee, 
like you said, he still has the potential to get back on track. He was on amazing point pace. He had an amazing year last year. Don't want to write him off too early. It's just been 15 games of pure mediocrity. I don't know who I take between LeBanc and Lee. Yeah, or even like I think the interesting one is LeBanc and JT Miller because I feel like both of them are just in free agency. And let's say you're deciding who to stream for next week. Like I said, even like I said, Miller has a really good schedule next week, playing Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday. But LeBanc, like San Jose, also plays four times. They go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, a more traditional four game schedule. So these are two players that might be available in your free agency that are on top lines and top power plays on their teams. So now's the time if you need to win next week. Both guys you definitely want to be looking at. I'm into Kevin LeBanc, to be honest. I would pre- I would prefer him over JT Miller, assuming I would get you know the same number of games out of him next week. And then on the other side, we got Joe Pavelski. He only has two assists in the five games since Joe Thornton got injured. I got to tell you, Brian, I'd be pretty worried if I had Joe Pavelski. Like, that is a big loss, losing Joe Thornton as his centerman and instead playing with Meyer and who was it now, Donskoy or whatever. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what you could do about it. I feel like you're going to get not great value if you try to trade him. And I wouldn't drop Joe Pavelski, but yeah, just saying, I'm worried. I don't know if you have any advice about that. And also, since we're on the Sharks, you messaged me earlier in the week to tell me that Martin Jones is killing it now. So I wrote it down in my notes to say, like, I'll look into this for the show. Took a look. Okay, he's had two good games in a row. He had two bad ones before that. So curious to know, like, like what's your take right now on Martin Jones? Like, By the way, Aaron Dell had a strong start today after two week starts. Uh, do you think the needle has moved at all on this since the last time we've s- discussed these guys? Like, now are you thinking that Martin Jones is back to being, like, the for sure, like, the Matt Murray of the situation? Or do you think it's pretty much the same as it was before? I don't know if the needle has moved a whole lot. Martin Jones got both games in a back-to-back. And that's how he started his return from injury. And I will forgive him for the first one in the set where he did not perform well. And then I'm even more impressed by the 43 saves on 44 shots that he made in the second half of that back-to-back set. And then Martin Jones followed that up with another game where he allowed just one goal, stopping 28 of 29 at Columbus. And we hadn't seen solid consecutive performances from Martin Jones for a while. So, okay, maybe when I said he was killing it, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But wouldn't it be nice if he could not wait seven or eight games until the next time he puts together consecutive quality starts? So we'll see if we can get that from him. I do hold a cautious optimism about Martin Jones, knowing that there was speculation he'd been playing injured before going on injured reserve. And then he comes back and plays better. Dell could still be the better goalie and no, the needle hasn't really moved to answer your original question, but with Martin Jones getting three out of four San Jose starts in the week who returns from injury, maybe that can indicate a renewed willingness to commit to him as number one. He will have to play up to the role to be able to keep it though, because Aaron Dell sure is breathing down his neck. Though maybe Aaron Dell gets traded at the trade deadline to a team like the Islanders or something. So I'm very, it'll be fun. Obviously, the trade deadline is a lot of fun. Everyone always gets disappointed in the end. So maybe I shouldn't be setting high expectations. Let's not expect anything and then see if anything fun happens. It should be a fun podcast episode that week, anyways. But hopefully, you guys think that this has been a fun podcast episode. I don't know. We're trying our best. You know, we're, we're up against a Super Bowl here. So, okay, we're, we're just trying to keep things afloat. We've got a few people in the chat room. I'm happy. Brian, let's go to the LA Kings. They also keep on tinkering as they are always want to do. Yesterday, they had Tyler to on line one with Kopitar and Ayafalo, and he was also on the top power play with Kopitar, Brown, Muzzin, and Doughty for the 6-0 win over Arizona. So Toffoli's another one of these guys who hasn't been doing much lately, but I really like his spot. I think now's the time to get on board. He only had one assist yesterday, and that actually broke a nine-game pointless streak. 
But like I said, I feel like he's the type of guy that if he's going to be playing with Kopitar, that's great. Also, Jeff Carter has been skating, so we don't know when he'll be back. But Toffoli's situation like could only get better. Like Assuming he's going to play with Kopitar until eventually Jeff Carter comes back. And maybe that's a big assumption because LA always switches things around. It could be like next game, Toffoli goes and plays with whoever, like Kempe and Tanner Pearson, and then you have to be worried about him again. But for now, if he's been dropped in your league, as I imagine he might have been in a lot of leagues, now might be a great time to jump on Tyler Toffoli. And another big story going on in LA is the breakout of Jake Muzzin. He has nine points in eight games since returning from his injury. I'm curious, Brian, is this sustainable? Like, how is Jake Muzzin getting all of these points? Do you think he's going to keep this up? Is he like a superstar defenseman that is like a must-own in all fantasy leagues? And like even more than a must-own, like a top 10 option or whatever. How is Jake Muzzin getting all these points? Well, he has scored three times on his last 16 shots, and Muzzin has also picked up four secondary assists on this run that you're lauding him for. So that's how he's doing it. It's not sustainable, but a nice feather in his cap that could help him maintain good deployment rather than, you know, sometimes he sees a little bump down or Alec Martinez eats into some of his time. Nice to see him doing so well to kind of, I'm hoping, establish himself and we don't have to worry about any bump in his deployment coming anytime soon. Yeah, by the way, Alec Martinez is day-to-day right now. We don't know yet how long he'll be out for, but that's something to watch. Obviously, that would be great for Jake Muzzin to not have someone breathing down his neck for that top power play spot alongside Drew Doughty. Okay, the biggest story, though, on LA. I said Muzzin was a big story, but the biggest story is that Jonathan Quick has been terrible. He's been crashing lately, while Darcy Kemper has been on a roll. So Quick now has had two straight terrible starts. He led in five goals on 19 shots versus Vancouver last week. Then he led in five goals on 36 shots versus Nashville on Thursday. Meanwhile, Darcy Kemper is rolling his two straight shutouts over Dallas and Arizona. I'm curious, like, who do you think is going to get the Wednesday start? That's when the Kings play next on Wednesday versus Edmonton. Is there any chance there's like a controversy brewing or like maybe Darcy Kemper is going to get the net for a little while? Or are you feeling the same about both of these guys as fantasy assets as you would have, like, let's say a month ago when Jonathan Quick was like one of the top fantasy options, like going in the league and Darcy Kemper was just an afterthought? If Kemper does start Wednesday, I will raise an eyebrow. That will be the first time all year that Kemper sees consecutive starts with a healthy Jonathan Quick available. I'm not seeing a controversy or change in value between Quick and Kemper, though I do hope that Jonathan Quick is totally healthy after having missed time for reasons that were never disclosed. And it's really just been one bad start for him. So I'm not getting too worried. Just something to watch, I guess. And if Kemper does get the start Wednesday, he's certainly worth streaming in for anyone who has not been previously scarred by past blowups of his. Okay, yeah, I know you're always afraid of Kemper. Kemper's been great this year. Definitely if he does get the start against Edmonton, I'd be very happy to stream in Darcy Kemper if you need that goalie start. Okay, next, Brian, let's go to another line change. I, I had a feeling, I'm pretty sure this has been recorded on the podcast. It was only a matter of time when an Artem Anisimov came back from his injury that he would get back on the Kane and Schmaltz line. And now there he is. Here were the Hawks lines in the 4-3 loss to Calgary yesterday. They were going with Taves, Duclair, and Dabrinkit, then Anisimov with Kane and Schmaltz, and then you go down the list, and then way at the bottom, you have Lance Boma with Brandon Saad and Tommy Wingle. So I feel like we've already called Brandon Saad a snoozer. Like, I feel like we do it so often. So just again, to put a bullet in that Brandon Saad on like line four or whatever you'd call playing in line with Boma and Wingles, that is as snoozer as you get. You should not be owning Brandon Saad. But how about Anisimov, though? He's another one of these guys. He hasn't done anything. He has no points yet in this spot. But I'd also imagine these points will be coming 
coming soon, right? Especially since he's also seeing top power play time. Like in yesterday's game, Chicago didn't actually have that much top power play time. It looks like they only had one power play, but he was with he was there with Kane and Schmaltz and Seabrook, interestingly, and Hinestroza, interestingly. So who knows if this will last, but it seems like a good spot for Artem Anisimov. And I feel like I'd recommend streaming him in, even though he's ice cold. Curious to know if you're with me. I recall back when Anisimov was doing well and as was Nick Schmaltz on the Patrick Kane line. And I asked you on an episode, who do you recommend between Schmaltz and Anisimov? And you said you would go Anisimov because he took so many more shots. I think this was going into the ga- into the week where Chicago was playing five games and we were trying to decide who's the best streaming option. At that point, Nick Schmaltz hadn't like totally blown up like he has. So I'm not saying now that you're going to say that Anisimov is better than Schmaltz, but I'm just wondering if you would preemptively add Artem Anisimov while he's online one in power play one with Patrick Kane, you know, before it's too late. A preemptive ad is, uh, that's a lot to ask, but I think I am with you on thinking that there could still be something to come from Artem Anisimov. And one of the big reasons I think that is because Nick Schmaltz has been able to produce from that line. So Anisimov gets to be the third piece. And, you know, I'm not saying that Artem, by the way, I like to call him Isaac Anisimov, is as talented. But just to say it's possible for Anisimov to get in on the action, now that the action on that second line certainly exists Nick Schmaltz, by the way, has 10 goals, 11 assists, 21 points in his last 21 games. That's a point-per-game pace that he's now been on for nearly two months. 10 goals he's scored on 35 shots, though, so that's not sustainable. Uh, so don't expect point-per-game the rest of the way. I still wish Schmaltz shot more, averaging only one and a half shots per game over his last 10, and has been much better if you go back even further. But yeah, I like Schmaltz more than Anisimov, though Anisimov has been shooting even less so keep that in mind if you are going to make a play for Anisimov. If you look at just like the last couple of games, like since Anisimov came back from injury, he has been shooting less. But if you look back further to back when they were a trio before, there was a time when Anisimov was taking a lot of shots. Like take a look at the game log. So he has the capability of putting up some shots. Who knows if he'll actually do it. <laughs> Something to keep your eye on, just like the Vince Duns out there in a great spot. We'll see what he can do. I feel like at this point, by the way, speaking of Nick Schmaltz, I feel like at the end of the year, when we start making lists of like, who was the best sort of free agent pickup of the year? Like the MVP pickup who you got midway through and he ended up leading your team. Nick Schmaltz has got to be on that list, right? He's been so amazing for everyone who has added him. We were kind of saying it all year long. He had some ups and downs at the start, but like you had to expect if he was going to play all year with Patrick Kane. And that wasn't a give me at the start, but there was like guys like Ryan Hartman or whatever were getting their chance. But no, it's Nick Schmaltz. He's there. He's there to say, I'm pretty sure. Okay, let's go to some outcheries now, Brian. Sebastian Ajo is back. He has three goals in four games. What a guy. We already like praised him so much when he got injured. And then we praised him again. Just I, when, I think when we did the 31 teams, 31 takes episodes, we don't have to go and, you know, get all excited about Sebastian Ajo all over again, though. I feel like we should just officially change our favorite hurricane to own from Jeff Skinner to Sebastian Ajo, right? Like I know going into the season, I think we said Jeff Skinner is the hurricane you want the most. And then next is Ajo. At this point, Jeff Skinner has been just like terrible. He's killing me. I own him in the couple. Not helping me at all. He's pointless in four at this point. He wasn't doing much before then. He's down to 31 points in 53 games on the season, which is a lowly 48-point pace. This week, he only gave me five shots in three games. The thing with Jeff Skinner is he's supposed to at least be really reliable to give you a ton of shots. Not even doing that in, okay, only three games, but still very disappointing. He's playing on, I guess, like line two or line three with Elias Lindholm and Derek Ryan, never getting a sniff 
of top power play time. Again, I'm talking about Jeff Skinner. At what point do we downgrade Jeff Skinner to being more like, say, a Boone Jenner or a Charles Houdon? Like, these are guys who shoot a lot, but they don't get much out of it. Like, I feel like at this point, we all think of Jeff Skinner as like a must-own in all leagues. He scored 37 or whatever goals last year. But at this point, he seems to be more like a Jenner or a Houdon like is is he in that category or approaching that category to you or do you still think he has a lot to give and he's going to get back to what he was doing last year when he was so amazing Jeff Skinner is actually one of those 60 point rookies I referenced at the top of the show when we were talking about Nathan McKinnon and in addition to Brad Boys and Paul Stasny the guy we hope Nathan McKinnon won't quite turn out to be Elon I think it's totally fair for our new hurricane Probably has been for a while, Sebastian Ajo, although he has his own beds of inconsistency, but he has been on a roll for long enough now. One name, when you're comparing Jeff Skinner to Boone Jenner and Charles Houdon, that you're missing is Evander Kane. Like, those are the guys who take a lot of shots and don't score in a lot of them, and Skinner and Kane have been comparables on our show for years now, because the thing that Jeff Skinner and Evander Kane both have in common is that they both really do have legit upside, more so than Boone Jenner or Charles Houdon, which are pretty low-end comparisons. Though I do see where you're coming from because of the shot taking, but I still like Jeff Skinner on the hold. And I know this is hard for Skinner owners to swallow, but hear me out. His shot and scoring chance rate stats are actually up on the higher end of his career numbers this season. Skinner's on-ice shot rates also way up over the last few years. And his on-ice shooting percentage is down to 6%, and that's keeping him from cashing in on those extra shots being taken on his shifts. Skinner's personal even-strength shooting percentage is down after a bump that we saw the last couple of years that we waited forever for and hoped would last. It hasn't. And his personal and team on a shooting percentage on the power play are also down to the point where, yeah, he's really getting hurt. Even though the shots are flying, he's not been able to cash in. Neither have his teammates. Look. Jeff Skinner still has 185 shots in 53 games. That's good for ninth in the league. And he is one of three guys in the top 20 in the league in shots on goal who are seeing fewer than 18 minutes of average ice time. Do you want to even try to guess the others? Uh, Charles Houdon? No, not Charles Houdon. He's not one of them. Uh, Think bigger. Uh, I don't know. JVR? No. Sorry. Okay, but he's got great shot rates. We'll talk about him later in the show. Jonathan Marcheseau and Rick Nash are the other two guys hanging on in the top 20 in shots on goal without seeing as many minutes as everybody else in the top 20. Anyway, back to Jeff Skinner. His 48-point pace so far, incredibly disappointing, as are his paltry six goals in his last 36 games. But I think Skinner can pull himself back up above a 50-point pace the rest of the way, and he's still separated from Jenner and Houdon types by the upside that remains. Like Evander Kane, maybe he won't reach it. Evander Kane didn't reach it in many of the past years, but it just being there is a point in Skinner's favor. Charles Houdon, by the way, if anyone's like, who is this guy? A great hired gun for shots on goal, if that's what you're looking for. He's 22 shots in his last five games, ranked 10th amongst all regular forwards in even strength shots per 60. Yeah, until today when he had no shots when I added him for my couple matchup. As a hired gun, I ended up losing by three shots in my matchup. So thanks a lot, Charles Houdon. Oh, by the way, Jeff Skinner also played today. He didn't help either. So, oh, and I had Brent Burns and he didn't help either. So yeah, uh, things are going great for me, Brian. Okay, <sighs> next player that is outjured is Philip Forsberg. He's back just as amazing as he was before. 
He had a goal and assist in the 5-0 win over LA on Thursday. He had two assists in the 5-2 win over the Rangers on Saturday. He's been playing on line one with Arvidsson and Johansson, which is exactly what we expected. So I don't really have anything to ask, but I just obviously had to mention that Philip Forsberg is back and that he's great. He's up to 38 points in 39 games on the year. I personally would not be surprised to see him be a top 10 guy in points the rest of the way. I'm curious to know if you think that's like too out there or if that's reasonable. Though, of course, when I say the rest of the way, at this point now, we have to say the rest of the way starting in a week from now because he's been suspended for three games for his dangerous hit on Jimmy VC on Saturday. Like, just be cool, Philip Forsberg. Like, you don't need to go and get suspended for three games for hitting Jimmy VC. That's not what you're there for. That's what no one should be there for. But anyways, what do you think? Are you with me that... Philip Forsberg at this point could be like a top 10 guy in scoring when he's healthy and not suspended. Could be. Sure. He's a candidate. That's as far as I'm willing to go, though. I don't think he's a sure thing at all. No, I didn't say sure thing. But yeah, he's out there. He's amazing. We just haven't been able to talk about him much because he's been injured. By the way, since we're on Nashville, what do you think about Mike Fisher, former Ottawa Senator hero, married to Carrie Underwood, the country music star? Anyways, he's apparently coming out of retirement. So uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, is there any chance he'll be fantasy relevant? I recall he used to get decent power play time on Nashville, but that might not even be last year. That might be two years ago. So we're not expecting anything from Mike Fisher, right? This will be the only time we mention him on the podcast. Probably. Yeah. Expect nothing from Mike Fisher. Do not make any preemptive ads, but you can follow him on Twitter because he did publicly criticize Philip Forsberg's suspension. He called it a joke, which is fun. So he thinks that Forsberg shouldn't have been suspended or he thinks he should have been suspended for longer. I imagine he thinks his own teammate should not have been suspended. Ah. Touche, Brian. Okay, let's go to another outjury or a pair of outjuries on defense in Toronto. Nikita Zaitsev and Morgan Riley are both back. Riley had a power play assist on the Mitch Marner goal in his return versus Boston yesterday. Riley's now up to 32 points in 48 games, which is good for a 55-point pace, which is pretty fantastic for any defenseman, especially Morgan Riley, who's never really broken out until this year. So he's fantastic. We've already talked about him like when he got injured. We also mentioned at that time that Jake Gardner might slow down with Riley back. So definitely keep that in mind. Like Gardner's been fantastic lately. He has six assists his last six games, but I don't expect Gardner to keep up that pace now that Riley's going to get the bulk of the power play time. And of course, Nikita Zaisev, he hasn't done much of anything offensively. Hopefully he's just good for the Leafs. Like he's going to help them just win more games, have a more defensive depth, which of course they are lacking a little bit. But anyways, the 4-1 loss yesterday to Boston aside, the Leafs have a lot to be optimistic about lately. Like a lot of players are breaking out a little bit like Nazem Kadri is finally doing stuff after he was pointless and it felt like forever but at this point he has a five game point streak he has three goals and three assists in that span clearly the like Mike Babcock's decision to swap Komarov for Marner on that Kadri line has worked out like also Mitch Marner has four points in his last five games so both of these guys are doing great Kadri and Marner they're playing with Patrick Marlowe who's not doing much of anything but hey he's there and Kadri and Marner are doing well with him so I don't know make of that what you will Anyway, the one guy who gets hurt from all of this, I would think, is James Van Riemsdyk. We mentioned him before. JVR, he becomes even less appealing now that he doesn't even get to play with Mitch Marner. He has only three points in his last 10 games. I feel like he's another guy we could add. Well, maybe not yet, but I mean, to put into the conversation of this list of players who are great for shots on goal, but just aren't doing anything for you points-wise. Like, what do we think about James Van Riemsdyk? At this point, he's clearly on what's considered the third line, a bottom six guy on Toronto. He's got to get traded, right? Like, set him free. I don't know if it's a matter of being set free or bad luck, although, yeah, James Van Riemsdyk's deployment is certainly wanting. First off, Elon, just to go back to the Morgan Riley, Jake Gardner business, 
Upon Riley's return, Jake Gardner right back down to a 38% share of available power play time. He was seeing usually more than a 50% share while Riley was out. So Riley owners can exhale knowing that he just gets a step back up there. Anyone who's gotten Gardner in the meantime, probably time to start thinking about letting him go, assuming that that's a fair representation of how much power play time he can expect to get going forward with a healthy Riley in the lineup. Okay, but back to James Van Riemsdyk, now playing with Connor Brown and Tyler Bozak on a sort of purgatory line. And as you mentioned, Elon, Van Riemsdyk's shot attempt rates are still fantastic. He's in the top 15, but yeah, that's all he's given you this year. Minutes have been in third-line territory for all of this season, and actually most of last as well. And even worse, James Van Riemsdyk's assists have gone missing. Just 11 assists for Van Riemsdyk through 53 games which is a big reason why he's off his normal point pace. Part of this is definitely not necessarily, okay, I can't say definitely and then not necessarily, but I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I think there's poor luck of the draw involved here for Van Riemsdyk. He has just three secondary assists this season, when at last year's pace, he'd have picked up about eight more secondary assists by now, which would have actually put him all the way up to 39 points in a proper 60-point pace, which is what we're used to seeing from him. So I still think he's a candidate for a bounce back, but it'll be that much harder for Van Riemsdyk to do that on the third line with little bona fide scoring help to work with. Yeah, like at this point, he could bounce back, but I feel like you would probably prefer like Nazem Kadri over JVR, like Mitch Marner over JVR, right? Yeah, I would because of the line deployment. But again, if JVR can just see his luck turn, pick up a few more of those secondary assists that we sometimes ding players for getting too many of, Ben Reimsdijk is not getting enough. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Makes sense. And of course, this could all be a totally different conversation. He's another one of those players that could be a bubble guy for the deadline. But I do find it annoying when I talk about players and mention that. I know you don't want to talk about, like, speculate about trade deadline stuff, but I feel like it's at least worth mentioning this is a player who might get traded. His name has been mentioned in potential trade rumors. What do you think? Is it okay? Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's okay for you to do it, but it's not okay to expect a response from me. Okay, but just for the listeners, you could tweet at us, by the way, at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you like when we say, like, I don't want to, you know, scare people into thinking that a player is going to get traded or to have people expect it and then they bank on it. That doesn't happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Just tell me what I've read. Anyway, let's go to our next team. Let's go to our next topic of the show. So what have we done so far? We've done injuries. We've done line changes. We've done outjuries. How about some hot streaks and cold streaks and things like that to close things out? We got to go to Tampa for some hot streaks right now and talk about Yanni Gourd. Brian, is Yanni Gourd the best line three second power play option out there right now. And I guess we just talked about James Van Riemsdyk. So maybe there's some competition there. Though Yanni Gourd is the one who's producing. He's on fire for the Lightning. He's got four goals and two assists in his last six games. How much credit for this Yanni Gourd surge should maybe go to his new line mate, Matthew Pekka, who's played six games since being called up. And he has six points himself. So I guess I want to ask you, first of all, is Yanni Gourd and what he's doing sustainable or is it more because he's playing with Matthew Pekka and then who's Matthew Pekka is he related to Mike Pekka no relation to Mike Pekka even though both have ties to the Ottawa area but going back to Yanni Gourd four goals on 15 shots so temper your expectations the thing that Gourd has done this year is built himself a reputation as someone capable of getting hot being worth an own if you catch him at the right time and there have been more than a couple right times by this point so he is someone you can always hope to add onto your roster and maybe he'll catch fire. What he's doing right now, not going to continue. He'll go cold again before hopefully he gets hot again. As for Matthew Pekka, he's a five foot nine forward from Petawawa, Ontario. He was the seventh round pick of Tampa in 2011. 
So he's soon to be 25 years old, and he's in his third year as a full-time pro. He finished college back in 14-15. Matthew Pekka currently having his best year yet for AHL Syracuse Crunch, tied for the team lead in points with eight goals and 23 assists for 31 points in 40-odd games. Braden Olofsson over at DauberProspects.com makes a good point that with Tampa about to get into a tighter cap situation next year, Pekka's positioning himself to be a cheap supporting cast member going forward, but supporting is about as good as you can expect from Pekka at this juncture. I am not climbing over everybody else to grab him. Okay, that's right. But a name to get on your radar on this currently successful line three with Yanni Gord. There's actually a third player there. It's Alex Killorn, but he hasn't been doing anything. And it was also shout out to Beerbot on Twitter, who for some reason keeps letting us know every time Gord gets a point, we get a tweet. We're like, Yanni Gord keeps on producing. And then he uses hashtags like, where's the top six minutes? But I feel like my answer to you, Beerbot, would be that I feel like with Yanni Gord doing well on line three, what would be the motivation for the coaching staff to move him into the top six? I'm sure they're very happy to get production from the bottom six. It's not as if Tampa's been struggling to get production from their top two lines. So I think Yanni Gourd is probably going to keep himself right there on line three with Matthew Pekka for the short term. But please feel free to keep sending us updates whenever Yanni Gourd does well. It's very exciting. And Elon, just before we move on from Tampa, Tyler Johnson is someone no one has had any chance to give us updates about lately. He has just one lone assist in his last six games, 13 shots in that stretch, but also two games where he had no shots. Johnson was also replaced on the first power play by Ryan Callahan in Tampa's last game. I can't imagine it's anything but temporary, but Tyler Johnson owners who've been on autopilot since snagging him a couple months back should have this cold snap on their radar just to make sure it ends sometime soon. Well, yeah, I'm taking a look, Brian. I feel like, yeah, sure, Ryan Callahan was on that top power play. I'm not sure if he replaced Tyler Johnson. I'm pretty sure he replaced Braden Point. Like, I feel like Point is the guy who will probably earn that top power play spot back before Tyler Johnson with the way things are going. At even strength, Johnson has been playing with Nemestikov and Braden Point. So, by the way, I guess I can't keep every episode updating on what's happening with Nemestikov. But, yeah, Nemestikov, again, not playing with Stamkos and Kucherov in the last game. They were playing with Chris Kunitz on line one, and then Nemesnikov with Point and Tyler Johnson. And then, like we just said, Callahan on the top power play with Kucherov, Nemesnikov, and Stamkos. Yeah, I agree with you. Tyler Johnson seems like someone that you should have on your radar. Like, he's not a guarantee to get you a ton of points all the way through. He was on an amazing stretch, but at the end of the day, he's on line two. He's not on the top power play. Uh, You know, like, if the league is deep enough, he might not be a guaranteed hold all the way through. We'll have to watch and see what happens. And yeah, also always got to watch Vladislav Nemesnikov, though I'm not going to recommend dropping him because I don't want people to hate me when he gets back on the top line and starts producing amazingly again. So, okay, let's move on to our next team here. Another hostage. We got to talk about Peter Morazic. Another great week for him. He had a 2-1 win over San Jose on Tuesday, 4-1 win over Carolina on Friday. That's two straight games, only letting in a goal. He finally took a loss in the second half of a back-to-back against Florida on Saturday. He led in three goals on 33 shots, which isn't great, but it's not, like, terrible. And you've got to imagine Detroit is really into him if they played him in two straight games, even though they have Jimmy Howard just sitting there. So I feel like Peter Morazic is the starting goalie on Detroit right now. That's what it seems like. Though, at the same time, I find it hard to really recommend adding him right now just because you take a look at Detroit's schedule next week. They're playing Boston, Islanders and Washington. So those are three teams that could score a lot of goals and really light Mrazic up. So if you're in a league that counts, like that doesn't count saves and you pretty much are only going for wins and save percentage and maybe goals against average, he could, he might hurt you more than he helps you. So I'm not going to go crazy and say that you should grab Peter Mrazic. Maybe that's me being dumb. Maybe you do have to grab him now because you would hold him for the rest of the year as the new starter on a Detroit team that seems to be doing pretty well right now. 
He's still a risky play. I mean, there is, if he starts, he's in danger of blowing up your numbers. And also he might not start. We don't know. We haven't seen a pattern emerge yet. But if I did have to commit to a Detroit starter for just next week alone, I would commit to Peter Morazic over Jimmy Howard. I feel like we have seen a pattern emerge and it's been Morazic, 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 Morazic every game. I feel <laughs> well, like that's you have a to think You have to think Howard gets back in at some point. Like they're not done with Jimmy Howard and Morazic hasn't been like gangbusters all the way through. So there is an opening. I mean, I guess. I could see Morazic playing all three games next week unless he's terrible, which it's possible he might be, or maybe it's a great opportunity to shine against Boston, New York Islanders, and Washington. It's going to be a lot of shots coming at him. So again, if your league count saves, he could be a good own. So someone definitely that should be on your radar at this point. Matt, when he came into the chat room midway through the episode, he just wrote tier, tier five Morazic, which I feel like he, I guess, Matt, you've been the one who's been hammering on Brian for calling him tier five way back when, and then it seemed like it was too high. Then it seemed like it was too low. We'll have to see where Peter Morazic shakes out for next year when we do our Schmore goalies board for the following season. Of course, it'll depend on what team he's playing for. People might not even know what I'm talking about. Schmore goalies board. It's this show we do in the summers. It's really great. You should, by the way, keep listening to us even when the season's over. We keep doing podcasts. Okay, next, since we are talking about goalies who we used to rip into but are now making us have to think again about them, I guess we have to. I can't believe this. we got to talk about Antony Niemi. Like, I'm not saying go and grab Antony Niemi, but i got to give some credit where it's due. Niemi has been pretty solid as the Habs backup. He had a 5-2 win over Anaheim yesterday, and he's actually put up five straight good starts, like five straight games where he's been a decent add. Of course, those five games stretch since November 22nd, so it's not like he's playing often. He's like once a month or maybe twice a month. But when he does play, seems like maybe all this rest is helpful, and he's been good. He's not the terrible guaranteed loss like he was when he started the year in Pittsburgh. So maybe next time Montreal says that they're going to be playing Antony Emi, you can grab him for a streaming start or put him in your daily fantasy lineup and he won't totally be terrible. Or maybe this is just a five-game sample and overall he's just due now for a really bad loss. Wow. I never thought I'd see the day, one, that Antony Emi becomes somewhat fantasy relevant again, and B, Elon endorsing him, and C, that it's all happening while Niemi plays for the Montreal Canadiens, who, Elon, you have documented very little faith in but Niemi has been making a case for himself for a spot start in your fantasy lineup 929 in six appearances with the Habs we'll see if he can keep it up now that we've all talked about it who knows right now that we've said it it can't be true anymore it's like one of those quantum physics experiments but okay uh also on the Habs of course let's mention Jeff Petrie three power play goals in his last two games I mean, he's on that top power play, playing with good players. We already said it a bunch of times. If he's still in free agency in your league while Shea Weber is out, and especially if your league counts hit some blocks, he really needs to be owned by you. Like, you should, you have no reason to not add Jeff Petrie, especially if it's a bangers and match league. Like, he's on that top power play. He's doing well. And if you didn't add him last week, you missed out on a whole bunch of power play goals. Uh, Brian, that's it for me. Those are all the players I was planning on talking about. Bit of a shorter show than usual, or I guess not. It is 9.30, so whatever. We've got we've got the normal length. Now we could go and watch the rest of the Super Bowl if anything's interesting. Like, actually, what's going on in the Super Bowl? Have you been Oh my gosh, Elon, this is, this is bad content. How about I'll add one more player while you gather yourself. Lars Eller has been on a hot streak in Washington. Five goals, four assists for nine points in his last 10 games. Elon, I mentioned him to you like two weeks ago, and you're like, yeah, I don't think you should add him. He won't keep it up. He has. He's been great. Also three power play points in his last 10 games. He does have a high shooting percentage, of course, scoring five goals on 21 shots, but it's been a nice little role for him for sure. Not saying it's going to last, but uh, if you like grabbing the guy who's hot and riding him till he's not, he could be that guy. 
Wait, so you are saying that Lars Eller is worth adding? Or, like, do you do think it's going to continue or no? No, I don't think it's going to continue. Oh, okay. So don't add our, Lars Eller. Let like someone else add him. board territory. You were asking who's the best third line power play two guy? Lars Eller giving him a run for his money. Okay. By the way, 32 to 26 for Philly. Oh, my God. If anyone wants to listen <laughs> and then get what was the score at 930 <laughs> while we were recording the podcast, that's what it was. Wow. You know that the Philadelphia Eagles were the underdog. You could have made some uh, could have made some scratch. Oh, man. Okay. Let's well, close out the show. Sounds good. Okay. I guess now is a good time to close things out. Like you say, I've had a good time. I hope you've had a good time. Dear listener, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Let us know what you think of the show. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Also, if you would be so kind as to throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I know I say it every week, so it sounds like it probably is just going in one ear, out the other ear. You don't care. But if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes and you like the show, it's like a really easy thing that you could do. And I think it really helps us out. I think. I don't know for sure. But I'm pretty sure it helps us out. All the other podcasts are asking for it. So why can't we... Also, if you want to support the show even more so and get some great perks in return, we have our patron program over on Patreon. You can check out all the information at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I mean, you're throwing us $5 a month or whatever you want. You can throw us more if you want even additional perks, but you're getting a bonus episode every week. You're getting access to our Facebook group, a lot of great things. I think that you should try out the patron program. I'm biased, but also don't forget, you can sign up. If you don't like it, you can cancel it. So why not check it out? keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, how about we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Patrick M., Jake K., Ryan R., Richard K., Brian E. Thanks a lot for supporting the show. We appreciate it. And so should everybody listening. This episode was researched with help from... Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, which is my newest favorite really low-tech, not-at-all-with-the-times resource, just to see who the goalie record was. I get a quick snapshot. Anyway, whatever. Uh, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. People are pointing out in the chat room. I didn't mention, yes, I lost the FanDuel Listener League last week. So I'll admit that I was terrible. And the winner was Rose City Riot. So way to go, Rose City Riot. You really have to rub it in. But you're much better than me at Daily Fantasy. We'll see what happens next time we play. Okay, like I said, great job, Brian. We will catch you all for another episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl signed.